Outside of Christ, one is not spiritually alive, but rather dead in trespasses and sins. Thus the need to be born again, born a second time, this time of the Spirit of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Years ago, I was in a sociology class in college, and the teacher posed this question to the class. How do you get to heaven from here? Several ideas were considered, but they boiled down to two. One, go to church regularly and obey the Ten Commandments. And two, just live a good life and don't harm anybody. About 30 students were in the class and all cast their vote for one of the two, with the exception of myself and another student or two. The professor of the class voted for option one. I raised my hand and, when acknowledged, asked the professor if he would accept Jesus Christ as an authority on how to get to heaven. He replied that a Christian certainly would, so I explained to the professor and the class that both answers they had written on the board were then incorrect. Jesus clearly declares the way to heaven in John 3, 3. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You must be born a second time. There were about 600 cumulative years of pew sitting in that classroom, and nobody knew the way. Dear visitor, have you yet to be born again like Jesus said? Are you ready to be quickened, made alive by the Holy Ghost, and to live for the very first time? In just a few moments, I will invite you to follow me in a simple prompt, and if you follow from your heart, everything changes today. There is no, absolutely no exaggeration in this statement. Today, all your sin and shame will be washed away by Christ's cleansing blood. Today, all of Satan's bondages will be broken. The bigger, the better. Today will be the first day of your new life. Here is the prompt I promised. Follow the instructions now. Click on the Further with Jesus for childlike instructions and immediate entry into the kingdom of God. Now for today's subject. God said, Genesis 2, 8 through 15. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life, also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from thence it was parted and became into four heads. The name of the first is Pison, that is, to, uh, that is it which compasseth the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. There is Bedlam and the onyx stone, and the name of the second river is Gion. The name, uh, the same is it that compasseth the whole land of Ethiopia, and the name of the third river is Hiddekel, that is it which goeth toward the east of Assyria, and the fourth river is Euphrates. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. God said, Mark, chapter 13, verse 31, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Man said, I want sound bites, nothing intense or deep. My phone does my thinking for me. I love food and cars, dope and booze, high-tech high stuff and sex, 
That's what I call living. The Bible and its condemnation of all fun stuff doesn't fit with today's enlightened lifestyle like mine. Now the record. Welcome to God Said, Man Said feature 1101 that will once again contend for the faith. All of these word-centric, faith-building features are archived here in text and streaming audio to establish in the minds of all who are searching for absolute truth the certainty of it all. Every Thursday Eve, God willing, God said, man said, grows by one. Thank you for visiting. May the magnificence of God's glorious salvation fill your life to overflowing. It is obvious to the blood-bought that those who challenge the supernatural credentials of the Holy Bible are fully unschooled in its text. Millions of times over thousands of years, the Bible has been minimized, maligned, and mocked by Satan's brightest champions without suffering a scratch or even a fine abrasion. God's Word has never been controverted. You've probably seen the bumper sticker that reads, God is dead, signed Nietzsche, and then Nietzsche is dead, signed God. Nietzsche was a German philosopher who refused to retain God in his knowledge and died in an insane asylum. Romans chapter 128, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Reprobate means worthless. That's basically how it works. Be of good cheer, child of God. The skeptics will not succeed tomorrow or, or, or in their next excursion into outer space. The word of God cannot be broken. Jesus said in John ten thirty five, and the scripture cannot be broken. And of course, that's true. Biblical antagonists somehow think they have succeeded, yet they never have. That's never with a capital N. 2 Thessalonians 2, 8 through 11 speaks of the end of time, which has now come upon us, and it reads, And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. Reprobate minds and strong delusion will be the mindset of the world's citizenry during the final days leading up to Armageddon. Archaeology is one of the four proof categories you'll find on the God Said, Man Said navigation bar. The archaeology category also includes paleontology, geology, ancient history, and societal records, and occasionally microbiology. This category demonstrates the incredibly perfect and inerrant historic record laid out in Holy Scriptures. It includes the miraculous accounts, certainly like a literal six 24-hour-day creation, the Garden of Eden, Adam and his rib-wife Eve, a tempting serpent, the loss of immortality, and onward. The skeptics would dub it the mythical Garden of Eden, but it is not a myth or a fairy tale. 
the biblical record continues to be confirmed detail after detail. You can be sure that the very beginning of time has not been neglected. The Genesis record of a paradise called the Garden of Eden has been and is being confirmed by numerous archaeological finds, ancient societal non-biblical records, and by the geological record. Now, satellite images can be added to the proof. Before we review the latest entree on uh, Eden, foundational information from previous God Said, Man Said features follow. Special note. It is important to keep in mind as you study the scriptures that the earth's surface experienced serious changes as a result of the global flood in the days of Noah. As you read on, you'll discover that various academic disciplines are doing a marvelous job of putting the pieces together. You will note differences of opinion as the scholars labor to reconstruct the picture, but what will be clear is that there is a plethora of ancient and credible witnesses that shout yes to Eden. God said, man said, undeniable proof, every jot and every tittle, 47. God instructed Moses to pen the first five books of the Bible known as the Pentateuch, of which Genesis is the first. The Genesis record was not hand-me-down accounts passed from one generation to the next, but God's direct, hands-on, eyewitness report. Ancient non-biblical societal records exist that were handed down from generation to generation, which makes them garbled, but they do retain amazing similarities. The following excerpts are from Haley's Bible Handbook. The particular spot which tradition has fixed as the site of the Garden of Eden is a group of mounds 12 miles south of Ur known as Eridu. It was the home of Adapa, the Babylonian Adam. The Weld Prism says the first two kings in history reigned at Eridu. Ancient Babylonian inscriptions say near Eridu was a garden in which was a mysterious sacred tree, a tree of life planted by the gods whose roots were deep while its branches reached to heaven and protected by guardian spirits and no man enters. The ruins of Eridu were excavated by Hall and Thompson excuse me, of the British Museum, 1918 to 1919. They found in indications that it had been a prosperous city, revered as the original home of man. The region around Eridu, uh, excavations have revealed, was densely populated in the earliest known ages of history and was for centuries the dominating center of the world, a region where many of the oldest and most valuable inscriptions have been found. Ur, home of Abraham, was 12 miles from Eridu. Pharaoh, traditional home of Noah, was 70 miles away. Obed el Abed, where the oldest known historical document was found, was only 60 miles from Eridu. Lagesh, where immense primitive libraries were found, was only 60 miles from Eridu. Nippur, library center, 100 miles from Eridu. Erech, Nimrod City, 50 miles from Eridu. Larsa, where Weld Prism was found, was 40 miles from Eridu. Babylon, only 150 miles from Eridu. Early Babylonian inscriptions abound in references to a tree of life from which man was driven by the influence of an evil spirit personified in a serpent and to which he was prevented from returning by guardian cherubs. 
Among the information on these tablets is a story of Adapa so strikingly parallel to biblical story of Adam that he is called the Babylonian Adam Adapa, the seed of mankind, the wise man of Eridu, blameless. Then he offended the gods through knowledge. Then he became mortal. Food of life he ate not. Sickness he imposed on the people. The gods said he shall not rest. They clothed him with a mourning garment. See Price's Monuments in the Old Testament. Other traditions of the fall of man include the Persian. Uh, Our first parents, innocent, virtuous, and happy, lived in a garden where there was a tree of immortality until an evil spirit in the form of a serpent appeared. End of quote. Adam in the Garden of Eden? Of course. End of quotes. God said, man said, in the beginning, part three. David Rawl, author of Pharaohs and Kings, a book that was the basis of a January 1996 series on the Learning Channel, is also uh, author of Legend, The Genesis of Civilization Today, which was published in 1998. BiblicalHeritage.org discusses Rawls' book in the following excerpts. Wouldn't it be nice to find the actual location of the real Garden of Eden? In theological circles, it would be a discovery that could equal that of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Well, guess what? Archaeologist David Rawl claims to have found the site described in Genesis as Eden in a lush valley beneath an extinct volcano in northern Iran. The Jerusalem Report, February 1, 1999, broke the story in the article Paradise Found. Ten miles from the sprawling Iranian industrial city of Tabriz to the northwest of Tehran, says British archaeologist David Rawl, he has found the site of the biblical garden. As you descend a narrow mountain path, you see a beautiful alpine valley, just like the Bible describes it, with terraced orchards on its slopes, crowded with every kind of fruit-laden tree, says Rawl, a scholar of University College London, who has just returned from his third trip to the area where mud-brick villages flourish today. What made Rawl look in this location in the first place? One factor was that uh, he read about it in an ancient Sumerian cuneiform tablet, clay tablet, held by the Museum of the Orient in Istanbul. The other factor was the work of the late, uh, little-known British scholar Reginald Walker. The ancient tablets described a 5,000-year-old route to Eden. He has been researching the location since the late 1980s through academic documents. In April 1997, Rawl did something very remarkable to prove his point. He set out from the Iranian town of Awaz, near the northern tip of the Persian Gulf, with only his jeep driver for company, according to the article. They traveled north toward Kurdistan through what Rawl calls lawless terrain, uh, trusting to luck to avoid the various guerrilla factions active in the region. Rawl followed a route documented in the Sumerian cuneiform epic Emmerker and the Lord of Arata, supposedly taken 5,000 years early by an emissary of the Sumerian priest king of Uruk. The emissary had been dispatched to Arata uh, on the plain of Eden, known to Sumerians as the land of happiness and plenty, to obtain gold and lapis lazuli to decorate a temple that Enmerker was building in Uruk. 
The cuneiform epic describes the dutiful emissaries' three-month trek on foot via seven passes through the Zagros Mountains to the footholds of Mount Sehend, the southern edge of Rawls Eden, and his successful procurement of the required valuables. Rawl believes the ancient Sumerians, Babylonians, and Assyrians all knew of an earthly paradise that had once laid beyond what they called the seven heavens. For them, Eden was still very much an earthly place. The garden described in the Bible places the headwaters of four rivers in it, the Tigris, the Euphrates, the Gion, and the Pishon. Obviously, the Tigris and Euphrates are well-known rivers, but the other two have been real problems in the past. Rawl has identified them as the Arxes and the Yuzan, which puts the headwaters of all four rivers in his Eden. Interestingly, the Yuzan, Rawl's equivalent to the Pison, which the Bible identifies with gold, is known locally as the Golden River, and meanders between ancient gold mines and loads of lapis lazuli. Making his case even stronger, Rawl says that he has found the land of Nod, which the Bible describes as east of Eden. Nod was Cain's place of exile after the murder of his brother Abel. Uh, today the area is called Nakdi. But it doesn't end there because a few kilometers south of Rawls Nod, at the head of a mountain pass, lies the sleepy town of Helabad. Formerly it was known as Keriabad, which means settlement of the Keru people. He believes that this could be a permutation of the Hebrew word Cherubim, that is translated as cherubims. These people were a tribe of fearsome warriors whose token was an eagle or falcon. End of quote. Was there actually a Garden of Eden? Does the record say yes? The following is from a book published in 1950 and updated in 1969. The book, Archaeology and Bible History, written by Joseph P. Free, weighs in on the Garden of Eden in the following paragraphs. One of the main purposes of Genesis 2 is to describe the nature of Adam and Eve's environment and the events leading up to the fall. All of the essential facts are carefully recorded. Even the general location of the Garden of Eden may be ascertained from the facts given. The Bible records that two of the four rivers connected with the Garden of Eden are the Euphrates and the Hittichel, Genesis 2, verse 14. The Hittichel River is the same as the river which we now call the Tigris. This is demonstrated by Babylonian clay tablets, which apply the name Idinglat, of which Hittichel is a variation to the river known today as the Tigris. Thus we see that Eden was in the region of the Tigris and Euphrates. The area known geographically as Mesopotamia, Greek meaning between the rivers, which today is the country known politically as Iraq. Concerning the precise location of Eden within Mesopotamia, we note two views. One, Frederick Delich located it just above Babylon, where the Tigris and Euphrates approach each other within a short distance. Number two, George Frederick Wright, geologist at Oberlin College, favored the area further south near the head of the Persian Gulf. This latter location is seemingly supported by the clay tablets which say that Eridu, a town in southern Mesopotamia, was reputed to have in its neighborhood a garden, a holy place, in which there grew a sacred palm tree. This legend may still retain some significance in pointing to the location of the original Garden of Eden.
The location of man's origin upon the earth has been the subject of much speculation, resulting in the theories which place the beginning of civilization in several different places, ranging from Egypt to China. Recent archaeological discoveries, however, point definitely toward the Near East and Mesopotamia, confirming the biblical indication concerning Eden as the location of man's origin. The present-day scholar William F. Albright well summarized the evidence when he says, Archaeological research has thus established beyond any doubt that there is no focus of civilization in the earth that can begin to compete in antiquity and activity with the basin of the eastern Mediterranean and the region immediately to the east of it, breadsteads, fertile crescent, end of quote. Genesis chapter 2 speaks of four rivers. Hebrewversity.com had this to say about two of them. The Hebrew meaning of the name Pishon comes from the old Hebrew root P-O-S-H, which means to jump or to bounce, and refers to the strong stream of the water. The second river's name is Gion, which comes from the Hebrew root G-I-H, which means to gush, and as in the case of the first river, Pishon refers to the state of the water. A river by the name of Gion can be found outside the old city of Jerusalem today. This river is named Gion because of the biblical description of the crowning of King Solomon, as described in 1 Kings. The king also said unto them, Take with you the servants of your Lord, and cause Solomon my son to ride upon mine own mule, and bring him down to Gion. I would like to conclude with an intriguing anecdote. Today, the Hebrew name of the Jerusalem Water Company is Gion, end of quote. The article, Scientific Search for the Garden of Eden, subhead, The Remarkable Geological and Geographical Accuracy of Genesis 2, was written by Dave Armstrong and published January 18, 2022. Excerpts follow. Carol A. Hill is a Presbyterian geologist whose work on Noah's flood has been very useful in my research on that topic. She has also addressed the question of whether Eden, as described in the Bible, was an actual place that can be located through an analysis of the story in Genesis and its connection to geography and geology. She ponders the topic in her article, The Garden of Eden, A Modern Landscape, published in Perspectives on Science and Christian Faith, March 2000. All indented citations will be hers unless otherwise identified. Special note. The editor has taken the liberty to use the authorized King James Version for all scriptural passages in this article. Genesis chapter 2, verses 10 through 14. And a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from thence it was parted and became into four heads. The name of the first is Pison, that is which compasseth the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good, and there is Bedalam and the onyx stone. And the name of the second river is Gion. The same is it that compasseth the whole land of Ethiopia. And the name of the third river, river is Hittichel. That is it which goeth toward the east of Assyria. And the fourth river is Euphrates. Carol Hill states, The Garden of Eden was a historical place. One reason for this belief is because the Bible gives a geographic location. Two of the names of the four rivers mentioned in Genesis 2:10 through 14 have been preserved from biblical times. 
According to the Bible, the Garden of Eden was located somewhere in southern Iraq, where the Euphrates and Hittichel, now Tigris rivers, flowed into the head of the Persian Gulf. That is, they flowed on a modern landscape that is still recognizable today. 1. All four rivers were historical rivers, not mythical rivers made up in the mind of the Genesis writer. 2. All four rivers flowed into the Persian Gulf in the land of Mesopotamia. They were not rivers that flowed in other parts of the world, as has been suggested by various authors. Number 3. All four rivers, or now dry riverbeds, of Genesis are still here. That is, the Genesis writer identified a modern landscape, one which is almost identical to that which still exists in the Iraq, Arabia, Iran area today. There is no river flowing from the western mountains of Saudi Arabia down to the head of the Persian Gulf, but there is evidence that such a river did flow there sometime in the past. Even as late as 3500 B.C., ancient lakes are known to have existed in the empty quarter uh, of Saudi Arabia, which is today the largest sand desert in the world. It was about 2000 B.C. that the climate turned hyper-arid and the rivers of Arabia dried up. In his article, The Rivers Run Dry, Biblical Archaeological Review, James Sauer describes how satellite images have detected an underground riverbed along the Wadi el-Baton, which means the same thing as a royal, a dry riverbed. Sauer identified this river as the Pishon River of the Bible, a river which flowed at a time when the climate was wetter than it is today. The Wadi el-Baton, Wadi Rima system, drains some 43,400 square miles of Saudi Arabia and Kuwait. The now dry Wadi el-Baton enters the Persian Gulf at Umm Qaisar in Kuwait. But in the past, the Pishon entered the Gulf north of Umm Qaisar in the Euphrates-Tigris River Basin. The evidence for this is a triangular, fan-shaped delta plain of cobbles and pebbles in the Didaba area, which has its apex near Al-Khuzama, and which extends northward toward the Euphrates. The cobbles and pebbles of this gravel plain are composed of crystalline rock that is characteristic of the western mountains of Saudi Arabia, and they decrease in size as they approach the Gulf area. The geological implication of this is that the source of the cobbles was to the southwest in Saudi Arabia, and that enough water once flowed in the Pishon River to transport rock debris from the western highlands down toward the Euphrates-Tigris River Basin. From the Persian Gulf of Mquizar, the now dry Wadi El-Baton can be followed to the southwest upstream past the borders of Kuwait and into Saudi Arabia, where it is incised into a tertiary limestone-sandstone sedimentary rock terrain. Then just past El-Hatafa, the dry riverbed is engulfed by immense sand dunes and disappears. This is where the satellite photos come in. These photos indicate that the Wadi El-Baton continues to the southwest beneath the sand and emerges as the Wadi Rima, that is, both wadis were part of the same river system in the past before being covered excuse me, by sand dunes. About 80 miles further in the upstream direction, the Wadi Rima bifurcates into the Wadi Quad on the northwest and the Wadi Al-Jair on the southwest. The Wadi Al-Jair continues up gradient to the area of the Ma'adabin gold mine, exactly as the Bible says. The name of the first is Pisan, that is, which compasseth the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold.
The evangelical Protestant flagship magazine Christianity Today took note of this theory in its article, Do Photos Evidence Lost Edenic River, published October 7, 1996. Former NASA scientist Farouk Elbaz was assessing environmental damage to the Kuwaiti desert after the Persian Gulf War when he first noticed smooth pebbles of basalt and granite that looked out of place amid the local limestone. We can find these rocks in abundance only in the western part of the Arabian Peninsula, he said, right on the east side of the Red Sea. Al-Baz is now director of the Boston University Center for Remote Sensing. His satellite photo analysis revealed a dry channel connecting the western mountains with Kuwait partially covered by sand dunes. The Hijaz Mountains, from which spring the Arabian River, do produce gold, and the river passes a city called Hadiya. The discovery makes it much harder for skeptics to ignore the possibility that the biblical text accurately preserved many earlier traditions, archaeologist James Sauer wrote, in Biblical Archaeology Review. Al-Baz says the climate in the Arabian Desert and other nearby areas was much wetter about 5,000 years ago. He believes some of the river's flow may still be on an underground aquifer and available for irrigation. Armstrong wonders, where was Eden? All of these ancient mounds. Eridu is archaeologically one of the oldest settlements known in southern Mesopotamia, dating to about 4,800 B.C. According to ancient Mesopotamian tradition, Eridu ranks as the oldest city in the world, and it was also regarded as a sacred city. The mound of Eridu is located about 12 miles southwest of Ur. Geologist Carol Hill concludes, The Bible locates the Garden of Eden at the confluence of the four rivers of ancient Mesopotamia. The Bible correctly identifies the Pishon River as draining the land of Havilah, Arabia, from whence came gold, bedlam, and onyx stone. The Bible also correctly identifies the Euphrates and Tigris, both of which are modern rivers which drain approximately the same area of Mesopotamia as they did in ancient times. The Gion, while not positively identified, is probably the Karka, which encompasses uh, the whole land of Cush, which is western Iran. Thus, the Bible locates the Garden of Eden as somewhere near where the head of the Persian Gulf may have existed some 6,000 years ago, that is, on a modern landscape similar to that which exists in southern Iraq today. I'm not persuaded by Dr. Hill's selection of Eridu as Eden because, in my opinion, it doesn't appear to line up with the biblical description in Genesis 2.10. A location southeast of it makes much more sense to me in terms of the confluence of the four rivers, according to a map that shows all four proposed rivers, the four Dr. Hill agrees with. I'm actually not as much interested in pinpointing Eden as I am in showing that the biblical indicators of location are of a sort that can be scientifically analyzed. That's the exciting and fascinating aspect of all this. End of quote. From Genesis chapter 1 to Revelation chapter 22, the last chapter of the Bible, it is true and righteous altogether. The last word of this beautiful, inerrant book was penned nearly 2,000 years ago with no words added, and it remains the constant authority for all things of consequence. 
The challengers still jeer from the sidelines, but to no avail. It was Charles Darwin's contention that as science grew in knowledge, it would prove that God and his Bible were irrelevant. However, the contrary has always been the case. Today's science continues to confirm, usually inadvertently, one biblical truth after another, miracles and all. I need to know it's true. Everything depends upon it, and I do mean everything. When Genesis and the six-day creation is true, when the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve are true, when the devil, the forbidden fruit, and the fall are true, when Noah and the global flood are true, then 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 is true. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanseth us from all sin. Then John eleven twenty five and 26 is true. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Then Revelation 21, 1 through 5 is true. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. True, true. Every jot and every tittle is true. Surely this solid rock, this holy, unchanging, and living book is the only place to build a life that will last forever. Choose life and live. God said, Genesis chapter 2, verse 8, And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. God said, Mark thirteen thirty one, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Man said, I want sound bites, nothing intense or deep. My phone does my thinking for me. I love food and cars, dope and booze, high-tech stuff and sex. That's what I call living. The Bible and its condemnation of all that fun stuff doesn't fit with today's enlightened lifestyle like mine. Now you have the record.